0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. So we're going to talk about the music app today. And uh, it got me thinking, I'm going to do you a favor, because you need a new moniker, you can't be the iTunes guy.
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't work anymore. I am I the macOS Media apps guy? That does Well, doesn't... see,
0: that just doesn't work either. And, you know, and the reason you were the iTunes guy is because you had a column that was named the iTunes guy. Exactly. And there are lots of iTunes guys. I'm an iTunes guy, you know, if you use iTunes. Whatever. So, but you can't be the music guy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's just I just cannot call you the music guy. No. So, here's here's what I want to call you. Señor Musica. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. It, it it feels good to say, and it's kind of fun, you know. Senor Musica.
1: Yeah, but the the Spanish is Spanish is not a language I have a uh, an affinity
0: with. Now you Maybe do.
1: monsieur Music. No, no, that's too ee, e e e Yeah, you can't pronounce French very well. You
0: guys like Senor Musica. Okay. That's got you
1: know Cajones. <laughs> Okay, well, I want to just start out this show by saying I hate technology, and I've been saying this more and more, things don't work, and I'm spending so much time on things don't
0: work. Ladies and gentlemen, I can vouch for this, because Kirk, for months, has been complaining about technology. Yes.
1: Very curmudgeonly, very unlike you. Yes, it's true. I mean, I make my living writing about technology, and yet I'm so frustrated with this technology that... Let's be fair, 99% of the time things work, but when they don't work, the amount of time it takes to fix them. I'll put a link in the show notes about the problem I've got with CarPlay in my Toyota iGo. I spent an hour and a half on the phone with a senior, senior, senior AppleCare support person. And I won't go into the backstory on that. Trying to nail down exactly what's happening and... For some reason, if I'm logged into my Apple ID CarPlay crashes, if I'm not, it works fine. So the question is to find out what sort of data is involved. Is it my contacts? Is it my messages, phone call history? Or, as I was saying to Doug before the show, is it my music library? And that raises all sorts of questions. Well, yeah. None of which will be answered today. (laughs) No, we can't. There's no way. Um, But what frustrates me is the amount of time that I'm spending on problems this year with iOS 13 and macOS Catalina, compared to previous years, there were always problems, but the ones here are bigger. On Chris Conacher's forum, Audiophile Style, someone just posted about an hour ago about the problem he had updating to Catalina, that the music app didn't read his library correctly, lost half his playlists. And I've heard from a lot of correspondents about this, that there's a lot of issues losing playlists, um, artwork not displaying. You've seen all sorts of artwork problems.
0: Oh yeah. They seem to have fixed the bevy of them. What was happening was, um, in the betas and, and the first version of music, you would see artwork in, in music. You would see it, you know, listed in playlists or wherever else. But anywhere else, it wouldn't permeate. So, for instance, if you were to look at the audio files of your tracks, you wouldn't see what you'd expect the album artwork as the icon.
1: In the Finder, you mean? That's right. And that suggests that the problem was with the system framework rather
0: than with uh, the music app. Right. Quick Look, for instance, you couldn't see the album artwork. So it was obviously not a problem necessarily with music, but maybe with the system as well. And it just looked like something that someone hadn't plugged in yet. That's what it looked like. Because it's fixed now in the 15.1 and Music one o one. The artwork does permeate through the system. So, but there, there are still artwork issues. Um, I don't want to go into too crazy detail about it, but you still may find tracks that have artwork, but don't register artwork anywhere else. I I suspect that that's something that's just going to clear itself up once the system goes through its thing. But there are little things like that. And, you know, it leads me to believe that perhaps that they're stretching themselves a little thin not just in music, but in in many things that Apple has been doing lately, that things are stretched a little thin. Yeah, that's a good way to say
1: it. By the way, if out there in Radio Land, you haven't figured it out, we're not going to talk about music or we're not going to talk with someone who's written a book about music. This is just going to be about technology. So if you don't use Apple's apps, you probably don't need to listen, but you might want to anyway. However, if you do use Apple's apps and you haven't or have upgraded to macOS Catalina, that's the topic today.
0: Well, you know, it's funny how you're you're kind of down on on the technology of it but yet you spent the last few months updating your fabulous book on using the media apps and so you've experienced it like i have at a much greater depth we we've we've looked at virtually everything that music can do and it can be frustrating at times because it seems a lot of a lot of the problems that it has could have been anticipated but But they're little problems. They're little problems. Some of them are little problems, yeah.
1: So the thing is that when we – since we have developer accounts, we have beta access to the software, we see the progression of software as it comes out somewhat raw, hewn, and then gets refined, and things get fixed, and interfaces get changed, and – so so we see the progression, but we see the accumulation of all the things, and they kind of add up in sort of the backs of our minds, as opposed to someone who just upgrades and it's all new. And, you know, as you said, up, when I was upgrading my book, Take Control of Mac OS Media Apps, there'll be a link in the show notes, you should really buy this book, I have to go through every single feature, every single option, every single screen and window and dialog to check how it works. And it's true that throughout the process, there were things that just weren't working and didn't make sense, and there were bugs, and, you know, fortunately, most of them have been fixed. But there are still some quirks, and there are things that have been removed, which we'll get to in a second, that are kind of frustrating. I just uh, want to—I was actually going to open with this. Now we're 10 minutes into the podcast, and I just want to mention a poll that I did on my website. About two weeks ago, I asked, what do you think of the new macOS media apps that replace iTunes? And I believe we're at about 345 people voted. 58% voted, I miss iTunes. About 29% voted, I like them. And about 13%, I don't have a preference. So 58-42, right? 58 miss iTunes, 42%, you know, they're okay either way. I think that says a lot. Of course, that says a lot of the accretion of time of using an app for 18 years and being familiar with it and, and having a lot of your muscle memory disappear.
0: Yeah, I I'm in the 42% column. I I like the I like the new apps. I and I like I can see where they're going to go and I can see how they're 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 much more streamlined. And everything works nice and smooth because it doesn't have all this cruft of having to deal with, with other media and things like that. It's just music, and, I, and, I, and I've actually liked using it. It just is much more cozy.
1: Yeah, I don't really care about the cruft. I think that's a false argument. What I find is that I do overall appreciate the changes, but I miss certain features
0: like the column browser. Yeah, the column browser, we still can't figure out why they got rid of it. It's, it's the logical way to search for music since... You search hierographically, hierographically, hiero hieroglyphic hieroglyphically hiero hierarchically. That's it. You right. Search hierarch. I'll put a link to that hier- in the show notes. Thank you. I need that. Um, you search for things by artist, album, track, or genre, artist, album, track, or composer, artist, album. However, but I mean, that's how you think of it in your mind, and it's the most obvious way to find you know groups of of. Of the music that you want to hear and they've removed it and I'm not I'm not sure why. I'm sure they have a very good reason. Whatever it is. I'm sure it's nothing devious. I'm sure they've got they've figured out the logic for it. But I do miss it very much. And it's very difficult for me to find an album, to lay my hands on an album as quick as I used to do.
1: It. Yeah, so there is a filter field if you press Command Shift F. And that will let you search within a specific view. So let's say you're in Artist View, and you type in this field, and you can type Grateful and see all your Grateful Dead albums. But the thing about the column browser is I used that together with Songs View, and this was the most compact. So I would have the column browser on top, and on my 21-inch, 20 in, it would display about 12 or 14 items in each column. And then I'd select one, and then at the bottom there would be maybe 20 displaying. And the other feature that they removed that causes me pain is artwork and songs view. So when you displayed artwork and songs view, you would have this sort of natural punctuation between the list of songs with the artwork in the left-hand column that would let you know, whether it was a single, an album, an EP, however many tracks, would let you know that you're starting with something new. And I think this is important. Anytime you scan text, that you need a header to let you know. And in this case, it was artwork. They could bold the first item in a group if it's sorted by album so you don't you can't do that if it's sorted by song or 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 date added but whenever i sorted by album i would have that punctuation that would remind me here's where this one begins here's where this one ends my eye knows where to look to the line that's parallel to the artwork the top of the artwork to see what the name of an album is
0: right it's uh it's one of the difficulties that that i'm having is that filter Thing it doesn't stay open. Yeah. So if you change the view in the in the browser window, if you go from looking at one playlist to another, the filter disappears. Which, but I want it there so I can keep searching. The other thing is that the actual search box, which is pretty handy for searching Apple Music, but I don't like the results of my library being displayed in that way. I don't. Ex- I don't want that. I so I actually had to write a script. It's called search results to playlist, and it works the way the iTunes search used to work. That is, you have five sections of, of of tracks you can look at. You can look at all the tracks, just the artist name, just the albums, whatever, and then it will put the results in a new discrete playlist where you can do whatever you want with them. And that's that's the kind of segregation I want when I'm doing a search or when I'm trying to to choose an album. I want yeah. you know I want to get to it right away.
1: So another gripe that I have. Um... I'm using a 21-inch iMac. And in album's view, as you make the window wider, the artwork gets bigger. Now, this makes sense when the artwork is very small, and I'm going to make my window as narrow as possible. And so there's four albums across, and then I'm making it wider, and the four albums get bigger, and then it pops to five, and then it pops to six. And after that, no matter how big the window is, there's six albums. So... If I make the window the width of those six albums to not make the album artwork too big, right? I can see 24 albums, six columns, four rows. But if I make it full width of the window, I really only see 18 because the artwork gets bigger. And you've got a 27-inch, so you're going to get even less because the artwork just keeps getting bigger until it gets to a point where it doesn't get bigger and you get all the white space on
0: the side. I don't even use that view because of that. I just I just go back into Songs View. You know, we were talking about how we have it set up. I essentially did the same thing, Songs View with Column Browser. That's the way Steve Jobs introduced iTunes on stage. He that's the configuration he had, the sidebar, the column browser, yeah. and, and the, the song browser. That's to me is the perfect way of doing it. I mean it's it's more jukebox like that way yeah. than it is now. Jukebox. You're showing your age there. Well,
1: it's called jukebox software. Do jukeboxes still exist? I know, but do jukeboxes still exist? Sure, why not? Oh, I didn't know. I I haven't seen a jukebox over here. Yeah,
0: I've seen them recently, yeah.
1: Okay, so another display issue is, for example, I have my music segregated into genres, and particularly my classical music into a number of sub-genres. So classical keyboard, classical chamber music, etc. And if I click on a genre and I want to see all the albums it contains, I only see one at a time. The, the artwork is huge, and I'm looking at the first album in one genre. It has 27 tracks. My Mac can only display 18 tracks. I would like to have a view option there to, within genre, view the albums as album, right? So you get those smaller album things, and fine, I see the album I want, I click it, and then I see the contents. Because I am scanning... W- I'm scanning the album artwork. I'm, I'm still a visual person, and I think a lot of people are. And so what I have to do is I have to keep scrolling as each huge album artwork goes up, and anything with a lot of tracks, you know, it takes up a lot of space. And it's not—you you don't get that scanning possibility that you're seeing a bunch of things. Okay, I want to look at all of my, I don't know, Schubert leader albums, right? I want to look at them all but I can't, I have to scroll, and and it's always moving and my eye doesn't keep up. And (sighs) (laughs) overall, see, that's the thing. Overall, I'm kind of positive. I like the new sidebar. I think that's a, a good way to present things. I like the separation between Apple Music, the library, the store, and the playlists. I really like that. It's just, basically what we're saying is the problem here is for people with a large music library. It's harder to navigate. If you're mostly using Apple Music, it doesn't matter to you. If you have a small library, and years ago someone at Apple said the average library size is like 3,000 tracks. Now, that could be 3,000 singles, it could be 300 albums, depending on the person. But most people don't have large libraries. And in that case, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. But it, it's all of us with large large libraries, serious music lovers, fans, etc., who feel a bit left behind by this.
0: You know, the the... The thing is there are there are people of a certain age who you know who've been raised on on having a digital music library and the other day, I was looking at how many songs I had purchased on iTunes, let alone the number of songs I've also purchased on Amazon, but because I can track down the ones that I've purchased from from Apple, I've spent thousands of dollars on on purchasing music. I don't want to just suddenly. For some reason, I mean, I could get rid of them. They're still in the cloud. I can still look at them. Uh, I can still get them on Apple Music. But I don't want to let go of the files. A lot of them I ripped myself. A lot of them I purchased. I have an investment in it. And, uh, you know, after 18 years of using iTunes, I would think that they would know that there is a, 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 a vast number of people who do have large libraries just by the fact of being around for so long and and collecting yeah. so long.
1: Yeah, and, and particularly people who bought a lot of music from the iTunes store over the years, even though, you know, that's dropped off, but there are people who have this existing content. I have something like 3,400 songs slash tracks purchased from the iTunes store, but 879 of those were the Bob Dylan collection that came out in 2007 or so. So it wasn't a buck a track. 400 were the complete U2 that my son wanted, maybe a year after that. There was also the complete Pink Floyd and some big classical collections that I bought that were like 10 bucks for, you know, three CDs worth of stuff. So I I haven't spent $3,000, but I do have that many tracks. I mean, this is the curse of having a big music library in some ways. I
0: suppose it is. It used to be you needed a room to put your records in, and now now you need to be more cautious about how you handle your data.
1: Yeah. I want to be positive about some things, though. I, I like the new. So there's this term that was never officially used in Apple documents, and yet it was the internal term that Apple used. The bit at the top of iTunes that would show the album artwork and the progress of a track was called the iTunes LCD. And if you know how to peek into the resources for the music app, you can see that there are still some graphics that have the term LCD in them. But Apple has never officially used that term in support documents. So I've decided, a, a bit following advice of someone at Apple who made a suggestion, I'm calling it the app header. And the way that they've separated that and laid it out across the top of the music app, I think, is quite clever. It, it, you don't have as much information in one place. It's very clean, and they've taken off... The sort of 3D buttons, which, of course, they did in the very last beta or the Golden Master, which meant that I had to redo all my screenshots because of the up next button and the lyrics button at the top. But I find that I really like the display. I think it's quite clean. Uh, I said earlier, the sidebar, I, I like the way they've got the gradient of colors in the sidebar. And, you know, we complained years ago when they got rid of all that color. Was it iTunes 10 or 11 when everything turned gray? And now there's color back, and that's nice.
0: I was kind of hopeful that they would have color playlist icons because some of the early demo shots of the music app that may even yeah. be still up on Apple had you know colored playlist uh, artwork, and I thought that would be kind of cool. But uh, I do like the way it looks. I do like the way it works. It's 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 minimal. It's it's really. Uh, I think it's just it works great. There are a couple of glitches here and there. But uh, overall, I I really do like it. I haven't used the TV app much, um, actually.
1: I find the TV app really confusing, I'll be honest. It's not something I use on my Mac. It's something I use on my Apple TV or on my iPad. What I find confusing, so so here's some, some inconsistencies that came. Those who remember uh, iTunes 12 or who are still using it, you know, you've got the sidebar above that, you've got a pop-up menu called the Media Picker, and there you would choose music, movies, TV shows, et cetera. And then at the top center, you'd have five tabs. And I really like the way the music app gets rid of all that extraneous navigational stuff. However, you still have five tabs on the top of the TV app and you only get a sidebar when you're viewing your library. So it's this inconsistency of the interface as you shift from one app to another and from one view in this app to another. The podcast app has tabs at the top. The Books app does as well. The podcast app has an app header with play controls at the top. The Books app, it's at the bottom of the sidebar if you're listening to an audiobook. So there are some inconsistencies across the apps, which... In some ways, makes sense, but in other ways, are frustrating.
0: I, I really hate to be down on it. I, I I don't want to be. I think they've done a terrific job. And just think about it, really. We it's a brand new app. It's a brand new app in a brand new operating system, and it's it's quite a delineation between the way we used to manage our media and the way you have to do it now. And it, it can, it's a lot easier, frankly. I just I like it much more because it's a lot easier. For,
1: for many things, because I think most people don't use more than, say, two of these media kinds.
0: Right, exactly.
1: I haven't used Apple's apps for podcasts for a long time because it's not the most convenient. I never really did much with movies on my Mac other than maybe tag them which you can still do in the TV app, but I never watched movies on, on my Mac. I would watch them on an Apple TV or my iPad, as I said. I did have audiobooks and moving them into the Books app. Well, so then we get into some problems of like where the files are stored. We're not going to go into that. I'll I'll toss in a couple of links from my website explaining these things. I, I think they're, they're, one of the issues that I think is problematic is that Apple – didn't really let people know enough what was going to happen. That the podcast—if they had a lot of content on an external drive, some of it would stay there, music and TV. Some of it would be moved to their home folder, audiobooks and podcasts. And this has caused a lot of grief for for people.
0: Yeah, and uh, also there's a problem with the books app handling audio. You know, handling audiobooks, whereas that's what the music app is for. But but it's a book, but it's an audio. And you can't go back and forth between the two unless you do some finagling of the files and things like that. So uh, I've been hearing from people who manage audiobooks in iTunes, and they're trying to figure out a way how do they get the books back into music, because that's the way they like managing
1: So the problem is that if you've gotten your audiobooks from Apple or Audible, they have DRM and they have to go into the Books app. If you've ripped your own CDs or used Doug's script joined together, particularly to join together files as you rip them, you have MP3 files, and you can keep them in the Music app because they're considered to be music. But once you put them into the Books app, you can't change the tags anymore. And this is a problem. One person wrote me saying that he had a whole collection of books and that they were all numbered, and the tags got messed up going into the Books app, and he couldn't re-add the numbers in front of the titles. You know, like, maybe it was like the 25 Jack Reacher novels or something, but the person wanted to have them in order. My suggestion, if you have a lot of audiobooks like that, is keep them someplace else. Put them in the Books app when you want to use them, and then take them out. Uh, Another problem with the Books app is your Apple audiobooks will be available in the cloud because they're purchases from Apple. Your Audible books won't be, but you can use the Audible app on iOS, which I find superior. But books that you rip won't go into the cloud either. So if you you rip your own CDs, while we have a cloud music library for music, we don't have that for audiobooks. I've also found that you can't sync audiobooks from Audible to the Books app on the Apple Watch, which I would really like to be able to do. You can't sync your own ripped books to the books app. You can only sync Apple's books, and that, I believe, is a limitation that shouldn't exist. If anyone out there has ever gotten the Audible app to successfully sync a book to the Apple Watch and be listenable, please drop us a line, because I have tried. In in the two years or three years that Audible's had an app, it has
0: never once been successful. So, you would listen to an audiobook from your watch?
1: Yeah, with Bluetooth headphones, with AirPods, so you wouldn't need to have your phone. You're out walking and you don't want to take your phone, and you could do it that way. Because you can do it with music, so you should be able to do it with an audiobook. So, yeah, I hate technology. Um, technology, it breaks and takes a lot of time, and it's frustrating. And we end up recording podcast episodes like this where we just rant a lot.
0: Yeah, I don't like ranting about it, but I guess we had to get it out of our system.
1: Well, we did because every every week before the show or whenever we're chatting otherwise, we tend to be ranting about something <laughs> yeah. that we can't figure out or that isn't working correctly. And I know there are a lot of listeners who have questions and problems. and So we're going to send them to two places to get resources. One is com with 500-some-odd Apple scripts, many of them updated for the music app and the TV app because you can't use AppleScript with books and podcasts.
0: And you also can't use iTunes scripts in Catalina. Right. So if you've got older Apple scripts written for iTunes, they won't work uh, unless you edit them or wait for me to edit the ones that you use.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you'll have to download new uh, scripts for most of them. And then the other one is my book, Take Control of Mac OS Media Apps, and I cover everything in detail. I do cover a lot of the gotchas and a lot of the... The changes in the way we do things. Uh, I mean, I do look at the book as a comparison of iTunes 12 to the present. So very often in the book I'm mentioning, well, we used to do it this way, now we do it that way.
0: It's a pretty handy book. I got a chance to see it. I got the first copy, I think, didn't I? You
1: actually did get the first copy that I (laughs) sent out. Yep. And you even got an acknowledgement in the book. In fact, there's even a chapter about AppleScript. Oh my goodness.
0: I got to read it too, just having it. (laughs) All right, we're going to do our next tracks now. Kirk, have you got a pick for this week?
1: I do. And so this is something that was in my library and that I hadn't listened to for a couple of years. It's called the Manchester Gamba Book. It is a two-CD set of recordings of solo music for viola de gamba. Regular listeners know that back in a previous life, I played the viola de gamba for a year. It was one of my favorite instruments. I love the sound. I love the resonance, bass viol. It's like a cello. You know, it's that really deep sound. It sounds like James Earl Jones's voice, you know, when you get to the low notes. And so this is not the best Gamba recording, but I I pulled this out the other day because I wanted to listen to something, dare I say, relaxing. Uh, I hate that when classical record labels market their music as relaxing, but this is relaxing. So a guy named Dietmar Berger decided to record 42 pieces of music from something called the Manchester Gamba Book, which was a collection of music from the 17th century. and dates from around 1660. It contains 258 pieces by different composers, many of them anonymous. And these pieces are in 22 different tunings. You can tune the viola da gamba in different ways, raise the note of one string lower of another, etc., there's some really nice music in here. and But what I like about it most is it's really simple, a lot of it. This isn't virtuoso music like Tobias Hume, who I've mentioned in the past. A lot of this is simple music because this is a music that was made for people to play at home who weren't virtuosos. And th- th- there's not. as I was listening to this, I was thinking, oh, I could play that. Maybe I should get a bass viol again. Oh, I could play that one too. And th- there's nothing wrong with hearing music that you can play that's relatively simple. He plays these pieces on both bass and treble viol. So treble vial is the equivalent of a violin. The only problem is that he's not a viola de gamba player. He's a cellist. And it's a bit odd to have a cellist play this music. He plays well, but not as well. There's not the same feeling of someone who's naturally playing this instrument. Two hours and 40 minutes, it's on Noxos. If you buy it, it's cheap. If you stream it, it's free. Well, it's part of your 10 bucks a month. If you don't know the instrument and you want something, dare I say, relaxing, but with that wonderful sound of the viola de gamba, check it out. It's the Manchester Gamba Book.
0: That's funny because my mother, who was a cello player, sort of, (laughs) she she, well, she played. She played the cello. She played at the cello. She used to play these viola de gamba pieces, and they were simple. I remember them being just. They're almost like etudes. They're almost like studies. They're almost like little exercises. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, that stuff is familiar. But she played them on the cello, which, of course, that's what they would do. They would translate them for cello. Have you ever heard of a band called The Pretty Things? Probably, right? That sounds familiar. Yeah. I, I have, over the years, have heard of The Pretty Things. And I think the first time I ever heard of them was when David Bowie covered one of their songs on the Pinups album. And I thought, oh, The Pretty Things, they're probably some glam band. You know, The Pretty Things sounds like one. And then, years later, um, I heard about the Pretty Things being associated with the early Rolling Stones. Like, members of the band that became the Pretty Things were in a band with guys who would become the Rolling Stones. They were in a band called the Blue Boys. Whenever I heard the Pretty Things, I, I couldn't nail down what kind of music they did. I thought they were a progressive band, and I thought they were a rock band or a glam band, or some kind of, like, early status quo, like, psychedelic band. I didn't know anything about them. It was just always on the periphery. Well, the other day, the other day I'm sitting here listening to Apple Music, and a Pretty Things song comes on. And it's this rockin' sort of R&B song from 1964. And it sounds like something by the Rolling Stones from 12 by 5. So I said, oh, i got to check th- these guys out. So I found their album, Greatest Hits, The Pretty Things. It's from 1965. So if they had, by 1965, enough hits to fill a Greatest Hits album, they must have been doing something right. Well, they never charted in the United States, but they were really big in in Britain. They did that sort of Mersey beat R&B. I don't know. I, I, you know, what the, the Rolling Stones were doing, sort of. And it's really funny... They got their name, The Pretty Things. Now, here I am thinking that they're some kind of psychedelic kind of thing. The Pretty Things, they got their name from a Willie Dixon song called Pretty Thing. The Rolling Stones got their name from a Muddy Waters song. I mean, it was a trend back then. (laughs) You know, if you wanted to show your blues cred, you got one of your favorite blues singers' titles and you called yourself the Hoochie Goochie Man or whatever. So, um... These guys have a blues background, and I had never really heard them that way. And this Greatest Hits album, it sounds so much like 12 by 5 by the Rolling Stones. It's really incredible. Some of the songs are very dated, but some of the songs are also pretty cool. And I can definitely see why Bowie would have recorded Don't Bring Me Down on pinups, because it's a really good little rockin' little rockin'. R&B number. So anyway, I'm really delightfully surprised. It's one of the one of the opportunities I've had to, to discover something that's been around for so long, and I've always ignored it. And here it is, I'm finding it's a nice little treasure trove of, of early British beat music. So The Pretty Things, Greatest Hits. Did you find out about Electric Banana? I didn't find out about Electric Banana, and that sounds fascinating. These guys, when they weren't performing as Pretty Things... Did the soundtracks for porn movies, among other things. They did, they did music for the DeWolf company. Now, DeWolf is a big commercial enterprise. They provide a lot of background music for movies, for TV shows, commercials, just, you know, license, they license music. And these guys used to do music for porn movies, and it's been released as Electric Banana. Now, there are several of them. Well, they did five records. I don't know if they're available online anywhere, but I'm really interested in hearing those. Not because they're probably R&B, they're probably not, but just the oddity of a band like this performing, you know, music to porn by. uh, It sounds really interesting. Well,
1: I don't think they made it for porn because Wikipedia says that their music wound up on various horror and soft porn films of the late 1960s. One of them was in a Doctor Who episode. Another one was in George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So it was basically, I, I don't know this, but what I'm getting at is that this company wanted music that sounded like Generic rock, and rock roll music. Exactly. Without having to pay licensing
0: fees. Right. They didn't want to hire the Yardbirds like they didn't blow up. They wanted to right. hire just anything. So, right. Sure. Fascinating. Yeah. This was episode number 162 of Two Cranky Old Guys Whining About Technology. Thank you for listening. Your comments are welcome. You can start or join a conversation on the episode show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. If you like the show, and we hope you do, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, well... I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhunt, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.